Welcome to the Rocky Valley Podcast. This is Pastor Jason Moe. We're glad you stopped in to have a listen, and we hope that this blesses you in some way. You never know with those two, they may just keep singing, so I thought I'd better wait and make sure they was done. It is a wonderful morning to be here in the house of the Lord. Amen? It is my esteemed pleasure any time that Miss Theresa Stevens is here with us. This morning, it's also my distinct pleasure that my first pastor is here as well with Brother Russ Stevens. He served the Lord faithfully for a number of years. He's recently retired from Silver Springs Baptist Church. And it is my pleasure that you're here this morning, Brother Russ. So we gather this morning, and this is one of those blessed fifth Sundays that we gather together uh, and as normal on the fifth Sunday, as you can see, we, we take of the, the Lord's table together on these occasions, and today will be no different at the end of our service. Uh, we will be taking of communion together. But another thing that we've begun doing on fifth Sundays is, is what we've been doing. I don't know if you've noticed it or not, but I've been preaching out of the Psalms on the fifth Sundays of the year. I've been going to the Psalms, and this morning we'll be in Psalms chapter 150. Psalms chapter 150, if you need help finding it, no, if you got to Proverbs, you need to back up one page. It is the very last psalm that we have in Psalm chapter 150. Now, the reason that we look to Psalm chapter 150 on this day, when we will be taking communion, there, there are a number of reasons we would look to this psalm, but I think primarily the one that, that I felt like really directed us to this psalm this morning is that this is a psalm about praising God. It's a psalm about worshiping God. It's a psalm about lifting up to Him our voices and prescribing how we are to praise God. And I think there is no better time to look at how we praise God and how we worship God than on a day when we'll be going to have time at the table of God to join in communion together where we worship Him and remember what He did for us. In his death, in his burial, and in his resurrection. So as we prepare our hearts and minds this morning to take of our communion together at the end of our service, let us look to these six verses and let us stand, if you're able today, in honor and reverence for the reading of this sacred text from Psalm chapter 150, beginning in verse 1. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty firmament. Praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise him with the lute and the harp. Praise him with the timbrel and dance. Praise him with the stringed instruments and flutes. Praise him with loud cymbals. Praise him with clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let us pray. Father God, we come into your house this morning. And God, we thank you for your spirit's presence already among us. God, we pray that you would dwell here among us for a few moments as we dive into your holy word together, Lord. Draw us nearer to you, Lord God. Do a work in us that only you can, Lord God. And we will give you the praise, we will give you the honor, and we will give you the glory for all you do. For we recognize that everything we have is because of you, Father. God, we love you. 
And it is in your precious name that we pray this morning as all of God's people said. Amen, and you may be seated. This morning we will be traveling through this entire chapter, even though it's only six verses. I know some of you just went, oh no, the whole chapter. It's only six verses. You ready to say, oh no, again. Instead of three points, we have four points this morning. So I know some of you right now said, gosh, it takes him 35 minutes to get through three points. The lunch lines will be long by the time we get there, but calm down. One of the points is really short. It almost doesn't count as a point, okay? So just relax. I won't preach on one of them, but 15 or 20 minutes. And this morning, we're looking at four aspects of praise that we find in Psalm chapter 150. Those four are this, the where, the why, the how, and the who of praise. We're going to look at these four aspects of praise that we find in Psalm chapter 150. And we're going to focus on our first point this morning, and that's this, the where of praise. The where of praise. The beginning of this verse simply says this. It says, praise the Lord. And I think it's important for our understanding of this entire psalm that we look to that word, praise, because as, as you have already heard as we read through it, as you've already looked in your text, you see that this word comes up multiple times throughout this psalm. So I think it's important that we understand for sure what that word really means. Praise is going to come up several times, and it means to honor, to worship, to shout out both in joy and in terror. So to honor or worship, to shout out both in joy and in terror. So well, what does that mean to make the same noise in joy and in terror? Well, I put it to you like this. If you were in a boat, if you descended off the coast of Florida in a boat and you were traveling through the ocean and you began to look around on a beautiful sunshiny day and you began to see all of the things in God's creation on your smooth sailing out, you might begin to make shrieks of joy as you begin to see everything that went on. You would lift up a noise and that would be a joyous noise. But if somewhere way out off the coast of Florida you were to go through an area where a storm blew in and the seas became rough, you might make that same noise, but it would no longer be a noise of joy. It would now be a noise of terror. And so we can lift up our voices in joy and in terror. And to worship and to praise, that word literally means both. To lift up our voices both in joy and sometimes in terror. And so it says praise the Lord. And that first word that it says praise the Lord, that's literally the word for our master, our commander, the one who, who we uh, put all of our decision in, the one we put all of our hope in, the one that's there. And then the psalmist gets a little more specific and he says, praise the Lord, praise our master and commander. And then he says, praise God. And, and when he says, praise God, he's saying, praise our creator, praise our maker, praise the one who set it all into motion. And so the psalmist literally gets, gets started and right off the bat, he, he's identifying that we are to praise our master, our commander, our creator, our sustainer, our everything, our hope, our all, our everything. We are to worship him in joy and, and sometimes in terror as we think about how we fall short of him, right? And so he, he introduces us that and then he says where we are supposed to do that. Because I think, I think as he penned the psalm, he said, well, I'm going to tell them what they're supposed to do, but I need to tell them where they're supposed to do it. Because he knew that we're not all that smart and we need a lot of directions. And so he says, praise God, praise the creator, praise the sustainer. I need you to do it in his sanctuary. Now, the sanctuary is the place of cleansing, 
the place where the altar is. It's the holy place. We need to praise him in his holy place. Literally, that phrase says we are to praise our creator and our commander in the place where the altar is, in his holy place. Now, I don't need any extra comments on this, but I am not the most intelligent person in the room. Most of you could attest to that. But I believe that we're standing in a place where the altar is. I believe that we're standing in a place that we have consecrated and set apart as a place where we would come and worship together His holy name. I believe that the writer is prescribing to us that corporately as a group we are supposed to come into the holy place and lift praises when we get here to our creator and our sustainer. The scriptures are teaching us and showing us that when we come here we are supposed to praise our creator, our commander, our savior. That's what we're supposed to do when we come into the house of the Lord. I think you combine that with what the writer in Hebrews said when he said we're not to forsake the assembling together and you can get that we're supposed to do what we're doing this morning. This is If you are a child of God, this is what you should want to do. You should want to come into his house and gather in his name and worship him because he's your commander, he's your sustainer, he's your creator, he's your everything. It blows my mind. When people who say that they're children of the one true king and you ask them where they go to church and they say, well, I quit doing that. And I said, well, how in the world could you be a child of the king and not go and worship him? How could you not come into the holy place and lift up his holy name? So, well, the church let me down in some way. The, the church is a bunch of the, the people inside the church let you down, but the church didn't let you down. The church was ordained by God. Your Savior's never let you down. So maybe that group of people let you down in some way. One, you may need to go talk to them because it may be as much on you as it is on them. But two, if you can't come to a conclusion, there's a lot of other places where you can go and gather in his holy name and praise him and the scripture teach us if we're children of God that's what we want to do we want to come and gather and praise him but look at that next line it says praise him where? in his mighty firmament now that's a long word the area between the earth and the heavens is the firmament that, that whole thing so everything from here and there is the firmament So we're supposed to praise him in his holy place. And then we're supposed to praise him anywhere where we see the display of his authority and his might and his majesty in creation. You ever look out at the night sky on a clear night and see all those twinkles? Last night we were coming home and when we turned off of the the main highway on to, to this road, East Old Murfreesboro Road, traveling west. Um, when we turned on that road, we looked out, and there in that night sky was this big, bright, beautiful moon. And the moon was hanging real low last night. Now, I'm not good with moon phases. It must mean it was in that low-hanging moon phase. <laughs> My son will correct me when we get home, but... And it was so bright. And as a family, we looked and we said, look at that moon. Look how pretty that is. 
And I couldn't help but think that one time in history past, God said, there's a moon. And he spoke it into existence. And as I looked at it, I said, my God created that. And I had a little moment of worship right there in the driveway just looking at the moon. Now, I'm not, I get tore up about Jesus over some of the craziest stuff sometimes. But that's what this, that's what the psalmist is teaching us. That's what we should do. We should be so overcome by God and his majesty and what he does that we just can't help but look around at everything and go praise him, praise him. Praise him, praise him. Sing out a joyful song. So which is it, Brother Jason? You're confusing me already. You said we're supposed to come into the house and worship him. And then you said we're supposed to worship him out in the creation. So which one is it? The answer is yes. On both accounts, the answer is yes. The suggestion in verse 1 of this psalm is that we should be so overcome by the majesty of God that everywhere we are, worship oozes out of us. We should be compelled to come into this holy place and worship God. We should be equally compelled to look up at his magnificent creation and worship God. And here's the beauty of it. We shouldn't forsake either. There's not an escape clause in between the first part of this verse and the second part that says, Good news, if you went to church this morning and worshipped him, you can back off the rest of the week. On your worship him where you're at. Likewise, there's not an escape clause that says, Good news, if you went to the lake this morning and you saw that his creation was beautiful and you had a little time of worship, you don't got to go back to the house of the Lord. Sorry, fisherman. Likewise, to whatever your other hobby might be. My particular one used to be fishing, so I used that excuse a lot in my younger days. Well, I can just look out at what God done on this lake and I can worship him as well as I can in church. But the Holy Scripture says that I can't. It says I can worship him there, but I'm to worship him here as well. So where should we worship him? Everywhere. 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 So why, our second point this morning, why should we praise him? We should praise him everywhere, but why should we praise him? Verse 2, it says, praise him first for his mighty acts. These are the things that he's done for us. Why should we praise him? We praise him because of what he's done. The description kind of lends us to this to say that the things that he's done to display how mighty he is in our lives. Those things that when we consider them, we say, I know without a shadow of a doubt that was God. You know the times I'm talking about, don't you? Those times when you looked around and everything seemed hopeless, everything seemed helpless, it didn't seem like you had an answer, didn't look like there was an end in sight, didn't look like there was any way you were going to pull through it, you didn't know what you were going to do, but the fact that you're here lets me know that you made it, and when you look back at it now, you have to admit wholeheartedly, you have to look back on that season and go, you know what? That was God. Those are the mighty acts that he's done in your life. Those times when you were in despair and he carried you through anyway. And you have no doubt that was God. I wouldn't be well if it wasn't for him. The doctor said there was no cure. I wouldn't have overcome the grief that consumed me if it wasn't for him. I didn't know how I was going to make it. 
I wouldn't have gotten that job. I wouldn't have gotten that promotion. It shouldn't have lined up the way it did. But God made it happen in my life at just the right time. But do you know the things about all of those? Those are not even the real display of his mighty works that we should praise him for. Because that was done on a hill called Calvary. When Jesus would strap himself to that wooden cross, he would lay down his life willingly that I might have life and that I might have it more abundantly. He died taking my punishment that I deserved for my sins. And when you think about how lost you were and how hopeless your situation was and the despair that you were in as a result of your unrighteousness. That's when you should respond by praising him for his mighty work. The work that he did that you couldn't do. Do you realize if you're a child of God this morning, that means something supernatural happened in your life that you couldn't have done on your own? Something happened so spectacular you couldn't fix it. Your daddy couldn't make it happen. Your mama couldn't wish it there. But that God himself did something in your life when he saved you. Now that is a mighty, mighty act of the Father. And so we praise him for what he's done. But it goes a little further. It says praise him according to his excellent greatness. So we praise him because of what he's done. But you know what we also praise him for? Because of who he is. We praise him simply because he's God. No matter what he's done or hasn't done or what you think he should have done or when you think he should have done it or whatever else, at the end of the day, if God never gave you any earthly blessing, you should still praise him simply because he is God. That phrase literally means he's beyond an ordinary description. Beyond the ordinary and beyond the description. That means God is such a mighty God that there simply aren't words to describe him because words wouldn't do him justice. We don't have a word in all of the languages, in all of the languages that have been developed in all of history, there is not a word that is suitable to describe the magnificence of God. And if we based our worship of God simply on the things that we felt like he was doing for us, then we have a very shallow view of who God is. God is no longer the creator and the sustainer. He's a genie in a bottle for us when we start to worship him because of the things he can do for us. When we start to believe in him because of the things that we think he's going to do for us here on this earth, when we believe in him, if you start to put your your trust in religion or in church or in people or in anything else and say, I'm going to go down this Jesus road because I think that's going to make my life here better, you've got the wrong view of God. You have this earthly view of God that says that God is some kind of of blesser that's going to to make me uh, wealthy. He's going to make me rich. He's going to make me uh, this. He's going to make me that. When at the end of the day, at the end of the day, our view of God should be that we're going to worship him simply because of who he is. Simply because he is our creator. Simply because he is our sustainer. And if God never blesses me with anything else on this earth, though he's blessed me with more than I can stand already, 
But if he never gave me anything else on this earth, and if I lost everything he'd given me on this earth, the simple fact that he had provided for me a payment for my sin debt would be far more than I deserved. But too many people have this shallow view of God that say we're going to praise him for what we think he can do in our lives. The problem with that is when things go bad, you stop praising. When things go bad, you stop praising. But what does scripture teach us we should do when things go bad? We should keep praising, right? We should keep praising him. We should keep relying on him. And in those seasons, that's where we really learn how to praise him. So that when we come out, we can stand on the mountain and shout, look what God did. So we should praise him everywhere. We should praise him because of what he's done. We should praise him because of who he is. But now let's look a little further. It tells us how we are to praise him. Beginning in verse 3. We, get, we start to get a list, and this runs through verse 5. And I think this is a beautiful picture. Just listen to some of the things he says. Praise him with the trumpet. Praise him with the lute. Praise him with the harp. Praise him with the timbrel. Praise him with the dance. Praise him with the strings. Praise him with the flutes. Praise him with loud, crashing, clanging cymbals. Doesn't that sound like an extravagant worship service to you? Doesn't that sound good to you? All those instruments. Now those of you who have children who have ever had a toy drum, when you heard the clanging cymbal, you thought, that don't sound like worship to me. (laughs) Sorry. The psalmist said so. It must be true. Praise him with all of these instruments. Praise him with all these strings and all of these tones and all of these notes. The psalmist essentially says, boys, fire up the band. We're going to have a worship service. Notice one thing you don't see there. I thought this was funny. And it made me do a little digging, so I do want to mention it in case some of you figure it out later. You know what? It doesn't mention any words and all of that. It doesn't say a word about our singing. You say, well, does that mean we don't need to be singing to him? And as much as I would like to leave it there and say to some of you who sing slightly off-key, no, you probably shouldn't be singing. Back in chapter 149, verse 1, you see that he says, Sing to the Lord a song. So that's already been covered. So the psalmist figures by 150, he don't got to tell us we're supposed to sing with our voices already. We ought to already have that figured out. So yes, we are to sing with our voices, but he goes further, right? What does he say right here? He says, you're to sing with your voices and you're to gather up the instruments and you're to play them. And the, and the idea is here that we should sing these songs to the Lord. We should lift up the Lord in a mighty way. We should lift him up with our singing. We should accompany our singing with our music. It should all be brought together in a holy lifting up of a sound unto the Lord. See, that list seems long on the list of instruments, Brother Jason. Well, the idea was it was virtually every category of instrument that they had in that time 
that he listed right there. That's pretty well all of them. The, the, the winds and the strings and the percussions. That's kind of what they had in that time. And so he makes this list. And the idea is very simple here. He, he's not saying if you don't have a lute or a harp, you didn't have a worship service. He's not saying if you don't got somebody that can toot on the trumpet, you didn't have a worship service. What he's saying is simple. You should gather everything you got for your worship service. Whatever you got in your possession to make a joyful noise unto the Lord, you ought to be using it in the worship of the Lord. You ought to put everything you got into your praise of your king. You ought not leave nothing behind the scenes. When you gather to worship the king, bring out all the stops. It should be a breathtaking honor and reverence to the king when you bring everything you got to praise him. All the singing, all the instruments, everything. But I want to point out something else that's suggested in this list, I believe. I do believe it's the, the, the factor of the notes, but I think we need to look a little deeper in this maybe. Because when we see that, we see there it says, praise him with the sound of trumpet. Everybody in here, no matter your age, no matter who you are, you thought to some time when you've heard a trumpet played, didn't you? You thought of some event you've been to or some choral rehearsal or something where you've heard somebody play a trumpet. And that's the noise that popped into your mind. Maybe you enjoy trumpets, maybe you don't. But either way, that's what you thought of was the sound of a trumpet. But when they heard the sound of a trumpet... When they heard the note blown on the trumpet, they would have been moved to a point of reverence because they would have thought about the other times that they'd heard the trumpet blown in their lives. And the trumpet would have been blown at the events and at the festivals. It would have been the main horn that was blown on the Day of Atonement as it was announced. And so they would have thought back to other worship services, other things that were signified by the sound of the trumpet. They may have even, some of them may have gone back in their minds to a time when the Israelites stood outside of the fortified walls of Jericho and that was the last noise they heard was the toot on the trumpet right before the walls came tumbling down. And so they would have said, worship him with the sound of a trumpet because when I hear the trumpet, I think of what God has done for me. When they heard the harp and the, the lyre, they would have thought about the instruments as they generally played at the time of the dedication of the temple. They were used to celebrate victory in battles. Now verse 4 says, We're to praise him with timbrel and dance. And I know that we're Baptist, and you would prefer that I jump over that word dance, but I'm sorry, it's in the text. We have to deal with it a little bit. And there are several places in Scripture where the dance is used as a prescribed form of expressing joy in one's life. Now, I doubt that the dance that's being described here is the same dance that we see going on certain places today. I don't think anybody was kikiing down the... Desert, whatever a kiki is, I don't know. My kids came home singing about kiki, and I thought, what are you talking about? But I do believe when Scripture teaches us there was a, an expression 
of joy in the movement of one's body that they were just so overcome with what God had done that they expressed it in a form of movement. We see that most pointed in David's life when the ark of God was delivered. And it says he was so overcome with joy that he began to dance. The idea is this. We should praise God with all we have. But when we play our instruments, it shouldn't be about the notes that we play. It should be about a remembrance of the Savior that we play it for. When we sing a song, we shouldn't be consumed with whether or not we're slightly on or slightly off key. We should be concerned with whether we sing it in reverence to the Savior that we sing to. And if you dance, it shouldn't be about how skilled a dancer you are. It should be about, is this a movement in expression of the joy that my Savior and my King has done for me? So we're to worship Him everywhere. We're to worship Him because of what He's done. We're to worship Him because of who He is. We're to worship Him with all that we have. But finally, lest any of us think that we're excluded from that list, we're going to look at who is supposed to worship him. Look at verse 6 with me. Verse 6 says, Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. That's a pretty exhaustive list, isn't it? Who should praise God? Everybody that's breathing. Who should praise him? Everything that has breath. Why? Because he created it all anyway. And it ought to be proclaiming his glory. According to the scriptures, everything that was created was created through him. And not one thing that was created was not created through him. So everything that was created was created through him and everything was created to display his glory and that's what it ought to be doing. If it's breathing, it ought to be praising God. Well, I am, I'm, I'm a lot older than you are, Brother Jason. Well, you still breathing? You ought to be praising. Well, I'm so young, I ain't learned yet. You breathing? You ought to be praising the answer to the question of who is exempt from praising the Lord is nobody. None of us are exempt from praising the Lord. I heard a story that this reminded me of, and it was by a great preacher, a great expositor of the word. His name's Robert Smith. And he was telling a story in one of the sermons that I heard him preach about a friend of his, and, and the guy had been kind of a mentor to Dr. Smith. He had been his pastor when he had surrendered to preach. He had been his pastor. He'd, he'd kind of been his mentor as he went through school and all his years as a pastor. And so this man had gotten very aged and he was 100 years old and they were having a celebration at the church where the man had preached for 54 years for his 100th birthday. And they asked Dr. Robert Smith to come and preach the sermon. And he said that he preached the service and that he noticed towards the end of the program for the list that this man who was a hundred years old was supposed to come up and sing a song. And he said, when I saw that in the program, I thought, how is this man going to sing a song? He can't even talk anymore. 
But he said, I was a guest, so I didn't say a word. And he got done preaching. And they welcomed to the stage. His wife rolled him up in a wheelchair. And the dementia had taken so much of this man's mind that he was just a shell at this point of what he once was. Dr. Smith said that it was the most beautiful thing he'd ever seen because his wife kneeled down beside him and they gave him the microphone and he went, "Uh and his wife said, oh, happy day. And then he said, and his wife said, when Jesus walked, and he said, he washed away. And his wife said, He washed my sins away. You see, the dementia had taken so much from him. And while he could no longer sing on key, and he could no longer sing coherently, he still had a song. He still had a song because it was his Savior's song that he could still see. No matter your age, no matter your condition, no matter your skill level, if you're a child of the king, you've got a song to sing to him. You've got a praise to utter to him. Let me also point out that scripture says this, that because Jesus is the name above all other names, that every knee is going to bow. And every knee, every tongue is going to confess. You know what that means? That means that everything that has breath is going to praise him for his excellence at some point. Everything that has breath. You say, what about those that deny him? Oh, yeah. At some point, their knee will bow and their tongue will confess that he is the Lord. So my question is this, why would we wait? Why would we wait until the other side of this life and praise him when it was too late? Because we are going to praise him for his excellence and who he is. As we close this morning... The psalmist suggests way back in verse 1 that to come to the altar, to come to the place of cleansing is an act of worship. It's an act of praise. So will you come this morning and praise God for what he's done in your life? Will you come this morning and seek God for what he's doing in your life? Will you come this morning and worship him simply by acknowledging who he is? Can you do that in your seat? Sure you can. Is that the best place for you to do it? Maybe for you. But there seems to be something about the act of worship to come and say, God, I lay this at your feet. God, I give this all to you. And maybe you're here this morning. And as we've gone through this, you've realized you've never really praised him for who he is. You've never acknowledged him as your savior. You've never realized what he did for you on the cross. My friend, can I tell you that one day you will praise him? Would you do it on this side and continue the rest of this life praising him and spend an eternity thereafter praising your Savior for who he is? Let's pray.
Father God, we come to you this morning. And we thank you for this opportunity to gather here in your holy name, Lord God. We recognize that this is a holy place, Lord, that we've set this place aside to praise you and lift you up because of who you are, God, and because of what you've done. And God, in a moment, we're going to go to the the table. We're going to take of communion, Lord God. God, my prayer would be if there's anyone here who's under conviction of of unrepented sin, someone here who's dealing with a problem with a brother or a sister, Lord God, that you would give them the courage and the conviction to come and lay those things at your feet prior to taking from your table, Lord. And God, we recognize that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that you are Lord. So Father, if there be one here who has never cried out to you for salvation, God, would you convict them as only you can. Stir in them a realization that now is the time to follow you. Father, we love you. We praise you for all you do. And it's in your precious name that we pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day.